a podcast brought to you by Energy Live News. It's Friday. It's four o'clock. It is Short Fuse. Happy New Year. Um, do hope you had a good Christmas. Happy New Year to everyone. And a big shout out to my friends in Italy. Ciao ragazzi, come stai, Lena e Federico? Molto, molto grazie for questa. Hey, shh, that's that. They're loving it. <laughs> Una vacanza fantastico. And that was basically some weird shit that I said there. Uh, we've got a busy, shut up. We've got a busy, busy, busy year ahead. And I'll be taking you some of the, through some of the dates this year. Now, um, we have got lots and lots happening this year. And we will be doing various shoots. So be across that. We'll be getting our reporters out and about, and our plans are to create some new exciting events. But let's get on with the most important thing of the day, which is obviously the news and the story of the week. Well, it's this one. Oh, it's all about David Attenborough. No, it's not. But David Attenborough and that turtle and the little bit of plastic in the whale's mouth has got Theresa May into a huff. In fact, it's got her so much into a half, she's decided that she's going to get rid of all plastic waste within 25 years. So she's launched, and the government's launched, a £7 billion recycling fund. So they want to try and get rid of plastic waste. They want to encourage people to use more and more recycling material. And the other thing that's really interesting is that they are trying to encourage supermarkets to have plastic-free aisles. So how the hell they're going to do that, I don't know. Um, the government is basically going to try and lead by saying that government offices will remove plastic from uh, what they do. Well, I think this is a great thing. Let's, see, let's be honest. Everyone wants to get rid of plastic. But, you know, getting rid of plastic is something that we should all do. When I was growing up, because I'm so bloody old, uh, you got things like paper bags. You got paper bags from the greengrocers. You got paper bags everywhere. Uh, milk bottles came in glass, you know, suddenly plastic sort of took off for the last sort of 25 years and everything's in plastic. You've probably seen the gags about uh, M&S providing you some cauliflower steak in plastic. So it has gone beyond uh, what, what it really should have been done. You know, 100 years ago, it was an innovative material just to be used here and there. Now we, we just have it everywhere. So anything that does this is great. What will it do? Who knows? Because unless the world we're talking about the UN, we talk about other nations, all agree with this. I mean, what, what I do say is the plastic in the ocean is just disgusting. And in all seriousness, that documentary in Blue Planet really told you what was going on there. So overall, good top marks to Teresa to start the year with a good idea. Now, not quite so top marks for our next story, which is time for humble pie for Mr. Dermot Nolan. Oh, dear. The boss of Ofgem has been told off to start the year. Oh, yeah. He's been told off by uh, MPs for not doing anything, for being a sloth, for being a snail, for being moving at the speed of a small centipede that's resting. The reason is he didn't act enough and quickly enough to cap energy bills, particularly for the poor. He was uh, confronted by MPs who didn't hold back, and one of them actually quoted saying, uh, dear Mr. Nolan, do you ever get stuck in? Uh, well, one thing you won't be getting stuck into is his 15 grand bonus. Whoa, that's gone. He's not taking that. In all seriousness, with him, 
Uh, I don't think that Ofgem has been uh, doing what it should have been doing for quite a while. Whether that's Mr Nolan's fault, who knows? That's for others to uh, uh, decide. But it's clear if you're the boss of that organisation that's out there to guarantee that, you know, we as the consumer are getting the right deals, then you should probably be doing a little bit better than he's been doing. Obviously, I'm not going to get a Christmas card off him. Ha. Uh, finally, um, switching. This was really big last year and the figures have finally come in. So in 2017, 5.5 million people switched supplier. That is a record. So that's a 15% increase on the year before. And nearly a third of those people who switched, this is really interesting, they moved to the smaller suppliers, the niche providers, rather than the big six. This is obviously something that really, if you look at it all, it's a good thing. It's the right thing that we have more choice and people are doing it. But it does make you wonder what the hell is the point of the price cap? Because if you have that ability to switch and get a bit of deal, then isn't that the market working for itself? Well, anyway, that's my view. You've got all the details there to uh, get in touch with us. You can, uh, you can tweet us, you can uh, email us. So tell us what you think. Uh, we'll be doing more news later with the reporters. But first, let's move on to this week's Viewpoint. Right, so this viewpoint, I'm going to put in some headphones, not because I'm suddenly getting deaf, but because we're going to speak to someone quite special. Um, what's the future going to be like? Who has got a horoscope? No one we know except one man in energy. Yes, Dan Lewis, who, uh, if you came to Energy Life Future, you saw Dan uh, giving a fantastic talk at the end of the day, talking about what he thought would be the future trends in energy. Some very interesting ideas around uh, the types of power we have, what we'll be doing in space. And what I thought was, what a great way to start the year if we got Dan in to give us his views on what he thinks might be coming up. So uh, joining us live from his uh, palatial studio in central London, Dan, how are you, young man? Well, very well, Simit, and, and very nice to be joining you today. And Happy New Year, fella. And Happy New Year to you too and everyone at ELN. Excellent. Now, Dan, uh, if people don't know you, uh, we've told you people that you're from the Institute of Directors, uh, but also uh, you run Future Energy Strategies. Do you want to tell people a little bit about, about your background and not just how suave you are? Oh, well, look, I don't presume to be any of, uh, you know, the greatest, smartest person of all time. But what I would say is I've been looking at the energy market and energy policy for about 15 years now, and it's never failed to surprise me. Uh, and uh, I thought this was such an interesting session to do to sort of look ahead and even look back a bit about what's been happening and what might happen. Uh, because the one thing about energy predictions is you can be fairly sure that it won't quite turn out how you think. So uh, let's take a risk. Let, let's, uh, let's have a discussion about this. Well, why not? And let's start with the one thing that people dare not speak or mention except in the world of Trump. But let's face it, is still powering the whole world. Oil. What are your thoughts on what's going to happen with oil this year, Dan? The riskiest question of all, because oil tends to do the reverse of what everyone thinks it's going to do. I thought it just got boring. Uh, I thought we were trading in a new range of, you know, 40 to $60, but we've just reached $70 a barrel. And, and why is that? Because it's not just about demand and supply. It's about the geostrategic implications. It's about what's happening in Iran. It's about uh, pinch points in pipelines. Uh, and it's about the time of year. And, and I think this is so important. This is so important to, to the UK because a lot of gas contracts are still um, indexed to oil prices. Yeah. And, and also it, it really affects uh, what you pay at the, at the petrol pump for your diesel or, or your petrol. 
So, so this has a, quite a big long-term impact on, on where your finances are going to be for the rest of the year. You can see the, 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 the sort of price fluctuations. A couple of years ago, Dan, you'll remember it was up at 140, 150, then it tanked. Is there this issue of the way that, let's be geopolitical, Iran, uh, the whole kind of issue around Saudi Arabia's distaste towards Iran and all that's happening there, all of those political shenanigans will really affect the way that oil will fluctuate and also what OPEC might well do. Exactly. And added to that, I think is a, a really important issue, is the growth in US, US uh, shale uh, right. production that's yeah. producing a lot of oil. And because oil is, is one of the few hydrocarbon commodities that are truly global, and what this means is uh, that they're truly fungible. So it means that the price of oil is more or less roughly the same around the whole world, unlike, say, with natural gas. So what this means is when the U.S. needs to import much less oil, and they're even starting to export it now, uh, then this has a downward pressure on the price of oil around the world. Now, when the price of oil goes up, U.S. shale production can go up as well. But it seems to be not going up as fast as they thought it would this time. And so, so there are sort of... Um, time delays between demand and, and supply. And I think that's what we're seeing now, that when there is some geopolitical pressure mm. uh, and people, people are mm. actually buying a bit more oil because they think the price is going up, well then, you know, that's, that's what we see happening. What do you think, um, you know that link we spent at the beginning, power prices, electricity prices tied with oil. Do you think that we're set with that for what, quite a while to go? Or do you think this idea of you know, more renewables and more kind of, uh, you know, battery and storage helping to boost the way that we can bring and uh, take away renewable power. Will that inevitably bring a uh, divergence away from energy prices, pretty much equal oil prices? Uh, I think there are lots of things that undermine that and not just what you mentioned. Eventually those contracts will expire and unwind uh, and indexing to the oil price will not seem such an attractive or such a good idea. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that's at play. I think what's also at play is that there is a lot of gas out there. There's really a lot of gas. It's just that how there's a lot of gas it... in here, Dan, as well. I can tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> it's really about how quickly can it come to market yeah. and exert downwards pressure. The surprise in the UK, arguably as well, is that whereas we were starting to see a bit less volatility in the natural gas price, as measured by the natural uh, national balancing point. We're starting to see some more spikes in the gas price because of the decline of storage with the closure of rough uh, and any sort of seasonal spikes that happen. So, so whereas we were going down that route, uh, where we're going to see the, the natural gas price roughly the same throughout the year, uh, it seems to be going in a seasonal variation again, where it's high in winter and, and quite low in summer. OK, let's move on to something that we've sort of touched on already, uh, you know, the transition and Drax. Uh, you've uh, got an idea about what Drax might well be doing that's caught your eye. Yeah, I mean, I think this is fascinating. This was, after all, the largest coal-fired power station in the whole of Europe. Um, they're now um, diversifying out of that, as of course they have to, because they're going to have to close all coal operations mm -hmm. along with everyone else by 2025. Uh, but, but what they have in plan uh, is to convert a couple of their of their power units to gas. But, but what really, really caught my eye was that they want to build the world's largest battery, and that should be going through this year, 2018, 200 megawatts. So 
the world's largest battery, lithium-ion. And uh, I'm just fascinated by that because... Hang on, I thought it, um, Mr. Musk was building the biggest battery in the world. Ah, oh, well, they're going to eclipse me, you see, because <laughs> he, he has built the world's largest battery, but it was about 100 megawatts. So what they plan for is, is up to 200 megawatts. It's a record-breaker. So that is, <laughs> yeah, that really is a genuine record-breaker. And if you are going to build a, a battery farm, for want of a better term, what you need to make it pay, uh, you need high and volatile prices. Uh, so they must be taking yeah, a pretty smart. big bet on that, mm. a pretty big bet on that. And, um, and I, I'm really interested to see how that, how that pans out, because let's look back a few years ago. Um, there were a lot of companies playing around in the demand-side response space, and a few of those went under. Yes. Uh, so I'm wondering if we don't have a little bit of a bubble in batteries. Um, but, but, you know, I do think it's, it's very interesting, the kind of software that's now coming into the power spectrum. Uh, that, that's driving things like batteries. And, and I'm, I'm quite excited about the innovation that's going on there. All right. Okay. Well, uh, any other last quick things to watch out for in the mind of Dan? Well, uh, you know, I've always got a, quite a few things, but I'll try and narrow it down. <laughs> um, what I would say, what I would say is uh, I think we've hit peak new suppliers in the energy market. Right. Uh, we've had a, a really big uh, rise in the number of suppliers, but last year, uh, a bit before that, uh, Energy GB went bust and it was taken over. Uh, I think we're going to see some acquisitions. So I think it's a business, if you want to go into the business of selling electrons and selling gas molecules, I think it's a much be easier business to get into than to keep going and make profit. And, and what is difficult for these new entrants, because they yeah. can come in at a low price. They can come in at a low price. But if prices go up, if wholesale prices go up, that makes it a much tougher business to run. And historically, that's been what, what's actually done it for some of these new entrants. On that point, <clears throat> the, um, we did a story, I mean, Johnny wrote about it at the end of the year, about obviously Nottingham had done it, and then Hackney, and then Islington, the idea of councils going into it. I, did, I, th I was quite sceptical about sort of councils taking our money and then trying to create energy retail companies. What, what's your view on that? I think it's like any other business. It's actually quite tough to make money in. At the end of the day, you're buying and selling a commodity that moves in price. What I would say is, I think there's some real scope for the emergence of what I might call a micro utility. So much, much smaller. Uh, maybe, you know, it, it, it's not just selling gas and electricity. It's selling telecoms. It's selling um, broadband. It's selling landline. It's selling water. And the thing is, I think a lot of these utilities are all coming together. And what you really become is a kind of a billing company. Uh, it, it's a software-based company. Mm. Uh, and and uh, the most efficient player in that can do it, do it pretty well. So you, you could have a kind of social utility scale model that chooses to have a low margin, but is actually very small. You know, it might be serving two, three, four blocks of flats, something like that. Um, I'm just wondering if there isn't more scope for that, because the cost of entering these markets now is falling quite dramatically. All right, and then let's end with something you got wrong. Go on, be honest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, look, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, you talked about humble pie earlier. Yeah, go on. Uh, I'm all for <laughs> humble pie. I was looking back at some of the stuff I wrote 10 years ago, and I was looking at forward at, you know, how much solar would capacity would the UK have? And solar I think capacity, I came up yeah. with something like three or 400 megawatts uh, by 2020. Right. Uh, and actually, you know, here we are, we're at 12.6 gigawatts. I mean, it's, it's been phenomenal, phenomenal yeah, especially growth. especially in a country but, with no sunlight. 
Yeah, it's not bad. Uh, but but if you think about what drove this, it seems that the, the fall in the price of solar modules was actually much faster than the ability of the government to reduce the subsidy available to them. Uh, and so the yield to investors became extremely, extremely good, 20, 30 percent, sometimes more. And so, of course, all this money piled into it and they bought it. Uh, and um, the government was just a bit slow reacting, to be honest. Um, but, but then uh, I don't know how much further it can go. Um, so, so that's why I'm quite interested in this space where you've seen these new solar farms going up, but, but they also are putting in batches with them. And so it's really all about the algorithm, the algorithm uh, and the connection charges. So wherever you choose to site any kind of power station in the UK is very connection charge sensitive. Uh, and I'd love to see some more transparency about those costs and, and how they play into the business model across the whole country. Nice. All right, well, we're pretty much out of time. But before we go, uh, obviously, if you're watching and you've got a question for Dan, uh, send us an email or twi uh, tweet and uh, we'll uh, put him in touch with you guys. But come on then, give me something bonkers. You're lovely. You oh. love this bonkers stuff. And particularly in the week where CES, that made me laugh, CES had a power car, the show for all the, uh, uh, you know, the new tech. Something bonkers you think might be happening. Well, it doesn't have to be well, this year. Well, I mean, I mean, bonkers might not be my quite... <laughs> favorite choice of word but what i would say is i'm a technological optimist and i do think you know the progress we're making in getting to space at lower and lower cost and more reliably uh and and the really sort of bonkers not so far out idea that excites me is space-based solar power because as you alluded to earlier the point about solar power um is that it tends to only work when the sun's shining um but of course if you're in space uh, in a sun synchronous orbit well, then you can actually have the sunlight 24 hours a day and then you can beam it down with either a microwave or a laser uh, to your chosen spot. And then, you know, why not? Why not? So if, if you can get the cost of getting access to space down low enough, you can put your solar power station in orbit uh, and then, um, you know, we'll, we'll have all these utilities working in space, maybe. That'd be good. That'd be cracking. Well, funny you mentioned that because uh, for Energy Life Future this year, we've got a fantastic guest. Uh, we've got uh, Baz Lasdrop, the uh, CEO of Mars One, who's all about uh, colonising space. So and we'll, I know we'll, we'll see you there, Dan. Listen, thanks very much, mate. And uh, if uh, you are interested in Dan's views, you'll be able to read him in Energy Live News. We'll get you doing some stuff regularly. All right. Thanks so much. Take care. All the best. All right. Bye bye. Excellent. Well, there's Dan there with a, a lot of sense. Let's see if any of that stuff comes together. Now it's time for someone who makes very little sense. Oh, yes. It's the Hack Hutch. Hello. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Look at that. Have you decided to wear anything different? Has this suddenly become just uh, a brand new shirt? It is, yeah. How are you, young man? Yeah, very well. Yeah, and kicked off the New Year with quite a few interesting stories that took me through. What, What's caught your eye this week? Uh, yeah, so this week there's been a bunch of interesting stories. Uh, so the first one I was going to talk about was actually kind of linked to what you were talking about with Dan. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about oil prices, but I was talking about shale. Um, and basically, Scotland has banned shale. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm moving across. <laughs> uh, Scotland has banned shale. Um, and then the firm Ineos, which obviously conducts a lot of the fracking, uh, has actually petit petitioned to undo that ban. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting. So that's because the last year was all about people being denied fracking rights and, you know, the people winning. This is 
sort of the shell industry fighting back. Yeah, because Scotland introduced a policy of uh, no support, which basically means that it's not really an elite, it's not illegal to frack, um, but you know they make it so that other energy sources are supported, and it means that realistically, uh, are you going to invest? Absolutely, yeah. Shell's not worth it. Okay, yeah, and so then fighting back against that. And then the next one uh, again uh, with uh, Mrs. T, uh, yeah. Yeah, Mrs. T May. And yeah, again that goes back to what you were talking about earlier in terms of plastic. Uh, that's microbeads have actually been banned now by the UK government and those are the uh, microbeads technically a sub millimeter plastic balls uh, found in the shower gel plastic uh, balls face scrubs and so on hang on these are things that you when you when you get those gels yeah. that you think have got something very Usually nice exfoliation yeah exactly or something like you that. use that regularly don't you mate yeah all the time so yeah. I'm glowing <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so they banned those because they can go through a lot of the filters and they end up going through the drains into the sea. Um, and they've proven that some animals actually that live in the polluted areas of the sea yeah. uh, with microbeads prefer eating microbeads to their actual primary food sources. What are they getting out of eating the microbeads? It's not exactly going to be Might nutritious. Nice. Exactly. <laughs> well, talking about eating, see what I did there, yeah, mate. Something weird. that is really popular in this office is pizza. You've got a weird story about pizza. Yeah, so um, Toyota's basically partnered with Pizza Hut, uh, also Amazon and Uber, uh, for three separate purposes. Uh, and the Pizza Hut's the most interesting side of it, because all of those companies are going to develop a driverless vehicle together. Uh, so the Uber one's quite obvious, it's a driverless taxi. Amazon, again, quite obvious, it's a driverless delivery van. Uh, but the Pizza Hut one's quite interesting, because it's uh, yeah, drive an automatic pizza boy that would turn up at your house and fire a pizza out at you. And they're actually it's going to cook the pizza on it. George is already wanting to get one of those. Yeah, they're talking about uh, the cookers, might, the ovens might be actually uh, part of the van. So Bloody don't mad. Don't crash into one. Okay, and that's it apart from? Uh, you can contact us. Uh, Pri's actually not here at the moment. but She's I'm not well, here. so uh, big so I'm lonely, hi Pri. So, yeah, send me a message and keep me company at stories at energylivenews.com. Oh, well done, Jonathan. Mm, made a lot of sense, eh? You did. All right, leave. <laughs> Go. Uh, no, seriously, do drop us a line. Um, we'll be doing loads more on various things, uh, but we need your stories. And this year, I want to send Johnny and Pri out uh, and we'll be um, hopefully bringing some new faces to ELN as well this year. So uh, we want to get them out and about. So make sure they write to us. Tell us about some stories you think should be covered. And don't forget to get involved with the show because Freddie's really happy about it because it's Ginger Day and we'll talk about that a bit later. Anyway, right, before I go, um, some dates for your diary. So this is going to be a busy first part of the year. So dates for the diary. So we start with March. March the 22nd is the Energy Live Consultancy Conference up in Manchester. So that is for brokers, people in the consultancy sector. Invites are going out for that, so make sure you're there. June the 7th. Now this is a cracker. So June the 7th will be the second energy live future and that's taking place this time in london at the siemens uh, crystal in uh, docklands and as i said we're going to have the ceo of mars one as a special guest speaker this will be amazing uh, if you look him up you'll find out he wants to colonize mars he wants to get humans there not going there and coming back but actually going there and you just live there he'll talk about what he believes uh, can be done around that and obviously how you solve uh, the energy conundrum in space and then finally on june the 28th the first part of the year we have telca so the energy live consultants awards we've been running for years if you're a broker you need to get involved 
Right, okay, well, that's pretty much it, except for, ah, uh, and finally. Uh, now, this is a good one. If you are looking for a Valentine's gift, which I certainly know some people in this room are, uh, and you fancy being cheap, I mean, you fancy being someone pretty classy, how about this? So Dell computers have taken gold from their motherboards. They are old bits of gold that they had uh, in their computers. So they've taken the gold out of the motherboards, they've recycled it, turned it into 14 and 18 carat rings, earrings and cufflinks. It's part of this whole thing of what can you do with a computer? Let's start and recycle. I think it looks a bit bonkers, but hey, if your missus is into it, chip in to provide her that perfect gift. See what I did there? Not bad, is it? And, and it's, uh, just to end the day, is it Kiss a Ginger Day, Freddie? It is National Kiss Ginger Day. National Kiss a Ginger Day. So if you know anyone who's got ginger hair, uh, give them a kiss. Uh, see you guys next week. Shh, Alex. See you next week. Uh, we'll be uh, back here at four o'clock. Uh, until then, adios.